Security Podcast. <laughs> Amazing. Welcome to the pilot of Hackwork. And I have the pleasure that my wonderful, beautiful, well, angel of cybersecurity co-host Tyler Cohenwood from Washington, D.C. is here in the show. Hi, Tyler. Hi, how are you? Yeah, brilliant. So we want to talk about cybersecurity here in Hackwork. And for the pilot episode, we had chosen a topic which is called the Internet of Broken Things. And for that, we have two excellent experts here in the show. Let me introduce from Cupertino in California, the man with the most handsome accent here in the show, Dimitri Falkman. Hi, Dimitri. <laughs> Hello, guys. Yeah, well, I, I keep my accent. I love it. <laughs> It's very good. And from Seattle, Mr. IoT, Rob Tiffany. It's so good to be here. This is really exciting. You know, I don't have as good of an accent as Dimitri, but I'm going to try. But it makes me think of drinking French wine every time I hear him. <laughs> it's all good. And We are so happy to have you guys here for this. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, this is what we want to try to do is to make it as international and as interesting as possible towards the cybersecurity. So we, we are starting, like, I'm sitting currently in Germany. So my accent is Germany. But, I mean, <laughs> and then we have you fantastic guys joining here from the US. So the Internet of Broken Things. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I have a couple of questions for, for everybody here. Um, first question is, What is IoT? Silence. Wow. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, let's go back I do to the know dawn. the answer. Let's go, let's go back to the dawn of time. <laughs> when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and the first <laughs> IoT devices were created and then trampled on and became broken things, as you can imagine. So it's, it, you know, it's like a bunch of inanimate objects, things, you know, we, we all know what the internet of people is right you know we're all communicating right now we've had the web we had the static web then we had web 2.0 where people are blogging and doing social media things came along when we allowed them to talk to us and so things that previously you couldn't hear from we brought them to life through sensors and actuators and so they share over a network their state their current state their current health their performance with us, you know, it could be as simple as something telling you the temperature outside. And then you start to realize, Oh, wait, maybe we've had the internet of things for a long time. The, the weather person on the news at night was telling us oh. what the temperature was at the airport. How did that happen? Oh, maybe we had IOT, but before people were calling it IOT, it's just remotely knowing the state of something and you're not there through the magic of the internet. <laughs> Wow. Good answer. Yeah, I would, I would actually uh, complement that a little bit because this is really uh, in the spirit of, you know, we're now thinking of uh, designing new things that could be 
connected to the internet. But I think where we will go in the discussion is there's actually a lot of you know, existing systems you know, that already had your know, sensors and actuators that were operating on their own. And someday we decided to plug them into the internet. And we will see that this is probably where the problem starts when they were not designed to be necessarily connected to the internet. That's yes. such a good point, Dimitri. That was probably the beginning of the end. <laughs> so, I mean, we choose the topic, the Internet of Broken Things, and why we set a topic there. Because obviously it seems to be that the Internet of Things has a security problem. And to me, the first time we have seen this getting really, really massive visible was in the year 2016, when the Mirai botnet was boom coming into the place and everybody it was like a shake in the industry everybody was thinking about oh <gasps> wow uh, there is something going terrible wrong so what that was that was a game changer that that was a game changer that changed um you know took hacking kind of to that level too there are some hacks that are game changers and that's one of them absolutely I think it showed us that the devices, the things, are the weak link in the chain. It showed us it. Mirai took down large chunks of the internet. Some of your favorite websites that were actually also down a couple of days ago were down, um, <laughs> and apparently even one country in Africa was totally taken off the internet because of Mirai. Uh, but yeah, botnet they attacked all these devices, and it wasn't that sophisticated, was it? They just used the default passwords and usernames for all kinds of things because people are stupid and people don't change the default. If they had just done that one thing, no other security at all, Mirai wouldn't have happened. But nah, we're too lazy. <laughs> and so all these devices got totally taken over and turned into zombie botnets um, because we didn't change the default username and password. So um, there's a lesson to you kids out there. Change the password. Change the password. Don't go with defaults. It's. I think what the Mirai architects were using was a set list of almost 70 well-known passwords of IP cameras. And then they were just scanning the internet. Right. Yeah. The CCTV, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. they had been completely surprised when they were watching their botnet growing. So I think it was, <laughs> even for them, it was um, not planned in that it's scale. Bigger success than they hoped for. <laughs> yes, <wasn't> exactly. <laughs> They're popping the champagne. Wow, we didn't know we were that smart. <laughs> but, it was, but as well, I think it was a shame for the industry because it, it means that a, shame. a lot of, there's no, how do you call it, security by design maybe in the IoT product. It's true. It's also... Not just about, IoT. Yeah, Hey, you know, I lived, you know, I spent most of my career at Microsoft and, and guess what? We built a lot of products like Windows and SQL Server and things before the internet. And then guess what happened when those things got put on the internet? They all got hacked to death. And I think it's a similar thing with IoT. A lot of these devices, as Dimitri was talking about, we've been sending telemetry and sending commands for decades. How do you think we talked to astronauts on the moon? and knew the current state of their health from their spacesuits. And how do we send commands to satellites that are out past Pluto, you know? So we already know how to do it, but we used it with closed, probably more secure proprietary technologies. And one day somebody woke up and said, hey, 
let's put all this stuff on the internet. What could go wrong? <laughs> well, in, in, in fairness, I mean, we, we also have to, to keep in mind that, you know, there, there is a, a fundamental challenge, which is the, the internet in itself was not designed with security in mind. So that's why, you know, to, 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 to me, the, to some extent, we could have used the, the broken internet of things as the, as the title for the postcast, because fundamentally, and that's also why, you know, to some extent, it is difficult for the end users to, to, to assess the risk. Because, you know, you take a road, you, you assume a certain level of safety, you know, uh, because we, we supposedly know how to build roads right now, and you have a code and you have uh, signals. There's not that many on the internet itself. You know, it was created on this idealistic idea that we connect everybody and everybody is good and, and everything's going to be great. Uh, the reality is that that core infrastructure is not hardened. So we have to put stuff on top of it, like passwords, like certificates, and it is complicated for an end user. Yeah, it, it is. It's kind of like, you know, trying to wear um, a pair of pants that's either too big or too small. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> that's how I always think of that. <laughs> but now we have yeah yeah we have the year 2021 now just just like like today it's the year 2021 so five years after after mirai uh so what has the industry learned nothing we we've told the industry things but i don't know if they've listened also just so you know mirai is still out there we didn't kill it off we didn't no. no, it's still out there. It's not as bad. We pushed it back. But go scan the internet right now. Go do search on Mariah and you'll find it's still popping up all over the place. Not as bad as it was, but we didn't extinguish Mariah. And then there's variants. You know how people will fork code to make new? Yep. A, a lot of that happened too. Um, you know, Merc it, the whole idea like secure by design, back to products that weren't, you know, a lot of these devices... You're right. There, there's some of them are just so small and so constrained, and they do so little. Right? You know, you're lucky it can send you any data at all. Um, it turns out, though, there are some devices secure by design, but there are many of them that are not only not secure by design, but they are purposely not secure. They have backdoors in them. Um, uh, huh. I, I was so listen. I know people who like what work for. You know, we talk about smart cities. And things yes. like that. Yeah. I knew a guy who was running all that initiative uh, several years ago for the city of New York. And uh, they didn't just put devices that they bought off the internet out there. They, they got all these devices and then they had their own internal people scanning the devices. And you'd be surprised or not to know that a high percentage of those devices had backdoors, had zero day flaws, and were actually sending data to some other country. You can guess which one to take your pick. And so uh, you can't assume anything. As it turns out, not everybody is idealistic and nice and hopeful um, in this world. And so uh, there's an extra thing to put on your list, kids. <laughs> Double check the devices that you bought to use when you're deploying your IoT solution because they may not be what you think they are. What, what, yeah, that, what should people look for? Well... There, it, it sometimes it takes some skills in hardware design and that a lot of people don't have embedded hardware design. And so you may actually have to have people who know how to do that stuff to kind of know what they're looking for. They're looking for some kind of soldered on piece of something that doesn't look right. Right. Um, you know, let alone uh, firmware that is alive and trying to redirect traffic somewhere. Um, 
just like you've heard probably quite a few of the uh, drones that you could go buy at the store and do with cameras. And they all come from a certain place too, as it turns out. And many of them are sending all your stuff back to some other place in addition to where you think it's going. Um, And so it's, it's sad to say that, but it's very pervasive. Well, I think one of the, the the recommendation you can have because I I would I would uh, actually it's a very good point you you raised Rob I, I was not thinking of that because my, my thinking was well your new devices actually they're starting to be some level of awareness if you buy a new router or access point right now out of the box it will force you to change the admin password it will force you to put your Wi-Fi password so there is some progress here but it is definitely true that there might be new devices that are purposely you know, design with some of these back doors. So the recommendation here is, I mean, do your homework. The other good news is that there is actually a community of hacker and researcher that actually search those things. So if you're security conscious, you know, don't buy the new thing, wait a few months, you know, go on the Electronic Frontier Foundation, look at, you know, on Ars Technica, what people talk about, because there's a lot of people looking for those devices. So buy something from a large brand. You might actually want to consider more you know, your country's brand and other brands because they are geopolitical issues. So in the categories of consumer device, I see some progress. Yes, there's the new danger of the backdoors as well, be explained. From my standpoint, what I'm much more scared about is, uh, and also that, that talks about my, my background in industrial, is those existing complex systems that we just want to plug into the internet for the convenience of remote control that were absolutely, absolutely, totally not designed to be connected and that are already functioning. So this whole category of uh, things that we now plug to the internet with just a bridge, this could get very, very scary because again, they were not thought in terms of, you know, there wasn't you know, a set of viruses that happened to them. They're just new to the internet with old technology. And that's really, really, really bad. So we are talking about the operational technology layers, which are in industry or public infrastructure. Yeah, definitely. And, and even, you know, if you, uh, I think, you know, I haven't done a lot of research on that, but uh, you, you, run a, you run a small shop somewhere and you decide to connect your heating system to the internet so you can control it two hours before you go to the office. But then somebody might be able to access that and shut it down or put it on, put it off. So there's all those kind of, you know, not necessarily critical infrastructure, I believe, in, in modern countries is, is going, is probably heading in the right direction. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are still flows, but it's more the, the general little things that can really create a lot of uh, disruption. So if we look like what, what you have said, Rob and, and you, Dimitri, to me, it's a little bit as well the way a problem how the industry is planning and building the products. So if you go for the IoT, I see a lot of startups stepping into the IoT world. They are maybe super excellent app developers. And then uh, the idea is, okay, let's make let's make a smart product. So what they do is almost, I think, the, uh, many components are just bought from the shelf. So I need a Wi-Fi module. Um, I mean, you... They buy it from the shelf, so even there is a completely Linux stack running on it. So for sure, they don't know what kind of Linux distribution or stack they're running there. And for sure, they never had a close look on what's going on there. If, if you go maybe to the larger enterprise companies, they have a clear definition of what kind of software should be running on what kind of hardware. But if you go into this all, let's say, a little bit more quick and dirty, agile environments, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of mess in there. 
No, you're definitely right. I think it, it exacerbates uh, an issue that we, we've seen purely in software, which is the supply chain, because your very few companies actually even build pure software by building all the components themselves. They take components from everywhere. So you don't necessarily know what's in these components. When you add this to the hardware layer or to the thing itself, it becomes a big nightmare. Now, there are initiatives in this space called you know, a bill of material, software bill of material, but we are going to have to be much more rigorous uh, about that. There's actually a good explanation I've seen somewhere. You know, If you buy food now, uh, usually you have a nutrition label which gives you the amount of calories and it also tells you the different ingredients, the percentage, and ultimately their provenance. We are at some point going to have to have that on those things so that you can look at it. And, and then the community can also, you can run that against, you know, repository where the community will say, oh, this component, which is common in all those cameras, is known to have a backdoor because it comes from this place. But until we reach this point of awareness, and this is where I believe regulation could play a role because, you know, uh, businesses will always put security at the last, you know, at the last mile because it costs money unless it is regulated. So if there are regulations that you cannot sell a product in the United States unless it has a label that stipulates the different pieces of software and hardware into it, a few things are going to change. So it is not only educating the user about password, but it's also forcing, I think, the, the manufacturer or the, or the service provider to, to be much more rigorous, to exposing, to be transparent about what they use. Like that, that's really well, good. That, you know, that, that reminds me. It's good. It reminds me. It's analogous in the software space. Developers like to build things faster than they might otherwise, and so they reach out to the internet. If I'm building Node.js stuff, I go to npm to get npm packages. You know, if I, I might be doing Maven, if I'm doing Java, if I'm doing .NET, I might go get NuGet. Um, I actually talked to the guy who started npm, and. Um, Wow. You probably you probably hear from time to time about problems with the npm packages or one package that's saving you a lot of time has 70 dependencies on other packages and one of them is been hacked um, and in fact what he told me is they have people having to look because new open source developers are trying to introduce packages almost every day that have backdoors in them and hacks hoping wow. that you will use them and take a dependency in the bigger software system you're building on the, cause, cause what do we all do? We're trading convenience and time for security and privacy, right? Yeah. Or sometimes m money. Um, do I want to spend more money on an Italian microcontroller from Arduino or do I want to pay <laughs> almost nothing for some ESP 32 coming from somewhere else? <laughs> wow. You, I yeah. gotta save money. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know, we're back to we, we, we are humans, so we keep on doing the same mistakes over and over again. It's the same thing for cars. I mean, you buy OEM parts or you buy non OEM parts, and what mm -hmm. happens? They broke. <laughs> now, in, in the case of a connected economy and world, the, the consequences can be much more dangerous. Uh, and actually, that's the problem with the physical world and, and, and the Internet of Things in general. Because in, you know, before we started connecting things to the internet, what could you lose on the internet? Money, credit card, there's insurance, it's just money. Uh, now you can die you know, if there is something bad in your car that stops the ABS. <laughs> or if there or, is, uh, or so a, a medical implant or something along exactly. those lines, too, yeah. which, yeah. Is, which is really scary. Yeah, yeah I, I, have, I have a question for you guys. So I'm always thinking, and, and Mirko knows all my crazy conspiracy theories or whatever, <laughs> I, I get to that paranoid place. I, we, we're trained cybersecurity people. We're trained to be to be paranoid. 
So I always think, well, what's going to be the hacker's lowest hanging fruit? Is it the IoT device or is it something within the ecosystem, such as the smartphone? Because a lot of IoT devices have some sort of connection to the smartphone, whether it's being run by an app or um, output is going into the, the device. Well, uh, simple is that answer. The lowest hanging fruit? No, yeah, a simple answer from my side, like the devil's side. It's just uh, telling you, well, <laughs> the tree is hanging with a lot low hanging uh, hanging fruits. It, it's filled with a lot of low hanging fruits. I mean, if we build an IoT application, Internet of Things application, we are dealing with hardware. Okay, the backdoors can be on the hardware or the problem can be on the hardware. Then the data is sent to the cloud. Um, I've just recently read an article on less secured Amazon <laughs> buckets. So like people are doing a lot of problems with misconfiguration uh, and then they expose the data uh, in the cloud. And then you have these protocols. I mean, like we have to teach the industry that they should use encrypted data transfer and some of them are failing just simply on implementing the Bluetooth protocol in in the right manner. So I think there's a lot of complexity in there where the people are creating a lot of problems. Well, I think the interesting you know, comment, uh, I believe we have a, a title is uh, when you use the term hacker today, uh, it can mean many different things. Uh, and and I, I have a background of being a, one of the older hackers myself. So I'm always a bit frustrated because the, the spirit of hacker in the beginning is really to understand things, break them, and expose their vulnerability so you can make them better. That's the spirit. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that, now, that is this, now, this has branched. Should I use, a, what, what, what term should I use? Cyber criminal. Cyber criminal. But, and actually, it's a, it's a little more sophisticated than that, 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 that right now because I believe there are really four categories. So there's a traditional one. Then you have the script kiddos, which are just you know the young guys that use tools that have no clue. Then you have true criminals that are actually trying to make money out of it. And finally, you have state level. Yeah. So we use it's weaponized. So we use that at weapons. So depending on in which category you are, they go after different low hanging fruits. I believe now you see the the criminal aspect is probably the most uh, scary one because there's a lot of trends. You know, ransomware is all about that. Uh, I mean, state level is just a new version of you know spying and and making war. So uh, it's weaponized right now. So should we try to not weaponize that the same way that we don't weaponize biological weapons? Yeah, maybe, but uh, I'm not very optimistic about that <laughs> so um so it is very uh, very different depending on the population now the good news is also believe that the traditional hacker community is now really trying to contribute and to expose problems so there's more awareness so but but there's multiple facets on what's a hacker today so it's difficult to give a straight answer to where's the low geek food it depends on your flavor if you want i believe <clears throat> or how heavy the fruit is or how heavy it is. I have an out there interesting question. Um, so I, I, I kind of work a little bit in the uh, tech health space. And during COVID, innovation went through the roof in the healthcare industry, especially health tech. Um, how did IoT um, help with the pandemic? Hmm. You know, it helped some. I'd say the biggest thing, well, there's lots of stuff. But one of, when I think of the big impacts uh, in the transformation we saw during the COVID, it's been um, connectivity first. The, the, it, yeah, this will sound silly. The internet held together 
under the biggest stress it's ever been put under the whole planetary. And because that, and then because by extension, you know, these devices through wireless operators, those wireless networks held together and it kept us all connected, right? Whether we're connected the way we are now with like video conferencing, um, but specifically, you know, it's it's digital experiences delivered over connectivity that make remote things seem local. You know, my wife is a school teacher and she had to teach kids over Zoom and Teams. Yeah. And, you know, and we went, all of us went and spoke at conferences by looking at our laptops yeah. uh, this time. And so with IoT specifically, though, the notion of um, lights out factories uh, which you don't see very many of those. We always like to show the same one from Elon Musk, but the same principle applies. And it's the same thing we've been trying to do for a long time with IoT is with IoT, I'm trying to remotely know the state of something and remotely control it, right? Uh, normally I'd have lots of people all around these machines doing things. And so, um, you know, where I work, we built at Ericsson, we built a smart factory from the ground up during and it came online during COVID. It's in Texas. Wow. And and it it's a 5G smart factory to build 5G technology to sell to customers. And what was cool about it is we didn't have a lot of people around to help get things going, training, all this stuff to bring a factory online because everybody was locked down. So using our 5G connectivity and the internet with goggles, you know, doing AR and VR, we had uh, experts from a similar factory uh, in, a, uh, I think it was Estonia, and they remotely guided and trained the guys in Texas over <clears throat> the internet and over 5G with headsets to teach them how to operate and build out the factory. And it was a really cool example of, you know, because a lot of times we talk about cool ideas like that, you know, mm-hmm. one day we're going to do blah, 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 because of the internet or something. It was great right. to see it. It was great to see it in real, make it real. And it was in practice. And so uh, I, th- I thought that was pretty cool. Um, being able to, you know, it's remote control, right? Remote that assistance. Is really cool. Isn't it like what we've yeah. seen as well, like in industry, a lot of companies who were usually flying in people to make remote instruction remote not remote to make local instruction events and maintenance stuff uh, it went completely remote and it worked yeah yeah it's pretty cool it is it's definitely cool and i think we all related to 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 the the other aspect of your question tyler about around health tech i i do we have actually seen proliferation proliferation as well of remote monitoring for people as well and i think what this is going to drive is that this is going to drive further instrumentation of uh, of humans uh and i've seen actually a couple of examples uh one of the the guy i work with is uh his daughter was having a cough and uh in the area where he lives Uh, if you report that your daughter has a cough uh, to the school, uh, you have to do a COVID test, but not the average COVID test, actually a very uh, DNA complicated one. And actually, so he, he got shipped uh, like a three or $400 kit at home that you actually connect to the internet. You take a whatever sample and you put it into the machine and the machine does some stuff and then reports and you can get your, your test results. So 
I think you're going to see more and more those, those mm. sophisticated systems, you know, shipped to the homes and to patients. And we go back to what's the security of that stuff. Because if my life is starting to depend on a piece of code written by somebody, you know, in an outsource country somewhere for which nobody except the company has seen the source code, I'm going to be scared. Um, I was on the panel uh, before the COVID uh, at a discussion where we had some experts in the, in the field and the person was uh, having a heart problem. I was saying, well, I have a software-enabled pacemaker inside my chest. I want to see that code. <laughs> because, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, but Dimitri, we all know that horrible story. I, I had the same one. I was giving a talk and then afterwards someone from the audience was stepping to me and said, look, I have a pacemaker for my brain. <laughs> And there is no software update available anymore. What should I do? You, you, you mean Facebook? Uh, no, 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 no. It's uh, like, <laughs> I mean, this is really serious because it's people who yeah. are oh, uh, no, epileptic stuff. And, and then I said, look, what can I tell you? It's obviously, I mean, you need to replace it. Well, we again. I think we are going to have you know, either you know very smart people in the in the manufacturer or the inventors of the things, or we are going again to need some level of regulation because now we're touching to the life of people. So because if there's no guidelines, as we said, uh, where but, will the companies go? But but medical devices are super regulated. But I don't think they are. Well, yeah, but regulated in the old way. Are they regulated in a software connected? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, there's already, I don't have example top of my mind, but there are examples of you know, uh, security flows in insulin pumps and those kind of things. Yeah. Because yes, they are regulated, but regulation was written 25 years ago by people who were probably already 25 years <laughs> below in terms of understanding the technology. We know, and that's actually another challenge. I don't believe that our you know, politicians or regulators, and this is not just the US, I think the same in other countries. I don't believe that most of these uh, uh, elected uh, uh, influencers have the understanding of the challenges of connected and digital economies. Yeah. And there yes. is a ma massive education effort. And this is why you know, some activists, some groups like EFF, some others play a role. But you know, at some point, I actually believe the, the younger generation, my daughter's generation, might think about that and think, oh, am I electing this person? Does this person understand what the crap Facebook is? Otherwise, I'm not going to vote for that person. But there is a lot of work to be done here. You look at you know, how... Politicians comment on hacks, you know, on cybersecurity, on the Facebook problem. They don't have a clue. Yes, yeah. but I have a little bit some hope. I'm from Europe. I have hope. Um, I, I, on the I, I maybe have... Tyler, just on 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 her speech of the state of the European Union. It was end of September. The commissioner was stating we have a problem with connected devices with the Internet of Things because if it's connected, it can be hacked. And this was one part of her main speech about what the commission is planning. And then they announced a lot of uh, stuff going into regulation acts, but as well as some scaring stuff, how to invest into cyber defense uh, and what wow. will be the new cyber defense strategies. Yeah, Tyler. That's amazing. No, that's great. That, 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 that's great news, I think. because, uh, And to my other point, I think we're going to treat those two. Actually, you need to treat those two problems separately. Because if you have state-level resources, that's pretty much nothing you can do to defend yourself. But this is not what we need to have for pacemaker. If a state-level want to hack a pacemaker of a specific individual, it's probably yeah. always going to be possible. But that's okay. That's you know the same way as you know trying to uh, assassinate some leader somewhere. But for the general public, you need to raise the bar level high enough so that the two other categories, which are the script kiddies and the criminals, cannot get there. 
So right. that's why it's a sophisticated problem. And it's good that there are discussions, but I think we are going to also have this you know, level of threat thinking in mind because it's not just black and white. You decided to be perfectly secure overnight. It's a risk level assessment, mm-hmm. I believe. And it's a living thing. Security is a living thing because something that is secure today will not be tomorrow. Yes. Updatability, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this This is a similar question that people face. I need to, I can't deploy 10,000 devices from this brand, from this country, because it's too expensive. So I'll save money and get them from some other place. But then if you layer in and say, oh, well, we also have another rule that says any IoT device you deploy must be updatable. Because as you say, it's only secure at one moment in time. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That may also, that will probably increase the cost of that device for it to be updatable. And also has an influence on what connectivity you use, because a lot of people are using some really cool low bitrate, you know, narrowband technologies that either makes it hard or impossible or difficult to push updates over the air to devices. But this is a critical thing. You know, if you want to put a yeah. A stake in the ground, draw a line in the sand. It says you don't get to do any of these things unless you meet all these criteria, right? Um, yeah, there's another very valid point uh, on that, Rob, and, and I think you and I had this conversation because what I always found fascinating is that the 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 network operators, especially the wireless one, have figured out a lot of the security problem of the network because you know you have bidding associated to it, so you you have proof of identity, those kind of things that we don't have on the internet. So I do believe that you're also going to have some use cases where it must be on a specific network that has specific characteristic. Because the idea, again, that we're going to be able to make things you know, secure enough on a foundation, which is the internet in its current state, is just a dream. You cannot, there's always, it's too fundamentally bad. Uh, so, so there are use cases where it should be only on private network. Uh, and and I think network operators can offer those kind of services. <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree with you on that. A, a separate network for those private, devices. So the private, private internet of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you guys have told me, have heard me uh, using this analogy several times. I, I, I every year I use, a, I go spend my vacation at DefCon, and uh, if you go to DefCon, there are two wireless network. There's one wireless network, which is based on certificate. There's no peer-to-peer. And it's safe. If you get on this network, nothing really bad is going to happen to you, unless you have, again, a state-level actor that attack. And then there is a sandbox network. So another one where peer-to-peer, everything is open, and go play. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to have some form of you know, separation like that, because there are critical things that I really would never, ever want. I, if I had to wear a pacemaker, I don't want that thing to be connected to the internet, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I think there are good reasons. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to wrap myself around aluminum to make sure that there is a final cage and that no, no wave can get in or out. <laughs> now, now my Actually, thermos- I want to see a video of you walking down the street covered in <laughs> aluminum. I'd love to see that. <laughs> well, I, I want to see that too. Yeah, yeah. well, I've been close like- to that, but not, wait, it's all good there. It's- <laughs> It remembers me to a project I, I did a couple of years ago together with a textile university, and we were uh, building conductive clothes. Exactly of that matter. So, exactly, uh, Dimitri, cool. you will my be Friday, our customer Friday, number one. Yeah, my, my Friday, 
my Faraday cage, uh, exactly. cage uh, exactly. jacket b by Chanel. <laughs> yes. 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 It was rather stylish. I mean, <laughs> Cooper textile. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but it's like, okay, what is the solution? Um, if the industry is maybe part of the problem and not part of the solution, so we need regulation stepping in and we need liability. Like, I mean, for product safety, we have already liability, isn't it? I, mean, I think they're in all need, countries worldwide, quite you, clear regulations towards product safety. You are going to need both. And you also, I do believe, still need awareness because, you know, it will only happen if, if there is a demand, you know, even, even our democratic system, if the people don't care, they just wait for the thing to happen and reset and restart and do the same thing again. So you are going to need education, awareness. I think you need regulation. And uh, and uh, liability as well. I don't believe in awareness because if you put two routers in an electronic shop, and one has the price one dollar, and <laughs> it's unsafe, maybe you, you write unsafe to it. Well, <laughs> and you have one hundred dollars, super safe. I mean, the people will. Is that yeah, like I mean, what they put on this pack of cigarettes? Exactly. exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's that, that's my point, Rob. There is actually research that shows that it works. When you put some horrible things, there's also it's it's controversial as well. The British uh, the, the 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 British government started to do a few years ago uh, advertising for car crashes that were very explicit. Now there was a lot of controversy about that, but it works. If you tell people something really horrible is going to happen if you smoke the cigarette and it's visual and it influences you with the right method, go back to the Facebook thing. Okay, so I think at some point you have to consider it uh, again. Maybe not for a thermostat, okay? But if it's for a pacemaker, yeah, you have the $1 one with a picture that you might die being hacked, and there's the $100 one with no picture that you might not die because this one is secure and here's the bill of material. There are just some things in life that you should spend money on. One, you know, a nice cardigan, nice pair of shoes, and a very, very sophisticated pacemaker. Yes, yes, you know. You know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we're we're spending a lot of our time focused on the device side of IoT, and that's fine because that is the weakest part of it. And so we've talked about the hardware, which is hard to do to scan hardware to see if there's back doors there and firmware. We've talked about it needs to be updatable. Um, there's the other thing that I see all the time on devices is that the credentials are often stored in a text file or something yeah. on the device. Um just this, whatever storage the device may have. Um, now, actually, that's an even better scenario than what most people are doing. A lot of people are hard coding uh, usernames, passwords in their code of the software running on the device to send telemetry. That's that's probably the most common way people do it. So actually, it is better if you would read and write to a text file, but still not great. And so there's a notion of like on on big PCs, we have something called TPM chips, you know, trusted platform module. Um, ARM has the ARM trust zone, but basically it's it's this hardware secure, you know, part of a hardware and a secure element where you can write and read and write credentials into hardware. Um, really? So it's not just, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's another, if, if you've got your laundry list of things to do, yeah to make your device, your IoT device secure, because you've got software on that thing, pulling data from the sensors, serializing that, and then sending it over some wire protocol to your server or whatever. Um, that's, that's part of the deal. 
But Mr. But again, yeah. But again, it goes back to not every device is going to have that secure element. Exactly. The cheap ones. No, they're not all created. Exactly. Now now the devil is talking to Mr. IoT and tells you, well, if I'm a product manager on a large IoT, blah, 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 mass manufacturing product, they are just having a look on every module which is built on. And then there's this brilliant guy from the security department that says, well, let's put on this TPM module on it, uh, what it costs. No, we'll cut it. But, but you know, the, you could make the argument that it's, it's just the, the matter of time and evolution because, you know, if you look at the way cars are built today, they are, now they are like more expensive item. I, I would agree with that, but they are much more secure than they were 50, 60 years ago. So, uh, there is always an evolution over there. So it, again, it's going to be a balancing act, but, uh, it's interesting. I was actually quite, uh, I, I got a, you got a quite an interesting idea, Tyler, when you, you were mentioning you, know, you should spend some money for some things because I always had this kind of uh, idea, which I could never try and find a use case of uh, luxury software. So mm-hmm. it could be interesting actually to position, you know, security as part of a luxury item in those, some items. So you have kind of you know, the high end brand and it is more secure and it becomes a, an argument for, for the brand, you know, not only just handcrafting. So I don't know, maybe it's a business idea. Here. <clears throat> Boy, that's, that's a, but it's super evil dystopia because it means like people who can't afford have to deal to be exposed. But it's, but it's the reality today because, you know, so either you, you regulate and you force so that it's democratic. Or you, if you give people options, then you have different levels and you'll go back to the way we live. So yeah, I agree. But uh, hey, what's the answer? And I, actually, I, I could see that becoming a thing, the luxury ver- the luxury type yeah. version or the, the pro plan or whatever you would want to call yeah. it. Isn't it like Apple is doing it that way? To like, some extent. I would agree with that, actually. I would yeah. agree with that, yeah. yeah. I would yeah, agree with that right. to some extent. But you can generalize to more to more uh, objects. So, and not to mention that there's a whole Pandora box we've not opened here either. Is that you know as soon as you give the individuals you know more control about their security and and privacy and uh, and uh, being able to do you know things very privately, you open the Pandora box on you know what happens if this is used by criminals and should the government have a say on that and what the police should be able to see and blah 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 blah. So, it's a uh, it's interesting Uh-oh. to live in a connected world. It's interesting. What do you I'm think? The future? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Rob. No, I wasn't going to say anything important. I was just going to buy the high-end luxury Hugo Boss version of the device <laughs> with better security. <laughs> I love and that. then someone else is going to get the Walmart version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what what do you think the no, future but, uh, is but, but going again, to be with IoT? Again, not not to sound just a second, and we'll come back to that. Not to sound too bad, you know. I think this is why I think you know regulation is there to set this minimum floor. So, you know, so, and, and actually we've done a pretty bad thing in the food, you know, uh, industry because, you know, the cheap food is the, the one that is actually the, the most worse for your health. So you mm-hmm. could argue that if we're not capable to solve that problem just for this basic human need, <laughs> how are we going to yeah. solve that in the digital world? Uh, but, but, but however, anyway, uh, I mean, like, I'm a very pessimistic guy. You guys know. No, that. no, 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 no. That, uh, I, I like the food stuff because if you, if you look in the US, the FDA, I mean, this is one of the toughest regulated authorities worldwide i believe so like uh, what is their regulation towards let's say ingredients of food 
not what the industry is doing out of that, but if if you buy, let's say, if you are producing sugar, you can be sure that this is okay. Say not healthy sugar, but it's not. Uh, yes, that was about the, the definition like the of safety. Their definition of safety is very different from healthy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yes. that's my point. So they have put a whole layer of regulation, which is actually probably more driven by economic issues than by really the, the safety in mind. So you're actually getting heading into my direction, which is if we cannot solve that well for food, because yes, we produce food that doesn't kill you immediately at scale, but it kills you later because it's very unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so yeah, we have a lot to do. Yeah, we do. What do, you, what do you guys think uh, the future of IoT is going to be, like five, ten years down the road? I'm sure we'll have billions of more devices by then. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think per day it's about 7.7 million devices adding to the ecosystem. Per day? Per day. Per day. Yeah. I, think we'll see, I think we'll see a few major horrible things happen, I believe. What? <laughs> a few, yeah. a few, oh, a few major horrible things happen. I don't know. Ten, ten, yeah, well, it's oh, because, of course we will. Because yeah. we treat that, you know, like something like, you know, 10,000 car crashing because some hacker put a virus or something. You're going to see something like that. It's, it's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, it will. <clears throat> it, 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 expect the future of IoT to be bright and at the same time, like watching an episode of, uh, yeah. what is it, Black Mirror, Dark Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I don't you think know, I've very... seen that. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I do, I do believe actually what, what uh, some of the things you're working on, Rob. I'm, I'm actually very excited about it because I do believe that you know, in agriculture, in farming, there's a tremendous progress that can be made actually for quality, for all those kind of things. For, for so, so you definitely you're right. It's very important to highlight that there are a lot of very interesting use cases. And yeah. if we change, it can facilitate the work for a lot of people. But there will be because of the lack of awareness and, and, and taking security seriously, there would be some significant risk. And the reality, when there is a big risk, somebody exploits it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so that's horrible. But uh, I mean, it was a super interesting talk. Like to me, it was, again, yeah. a, a lot of things I've learned, uh, but not. I would not like to leave the audience with a bad feeling. <laughs> so my question to you both, Rob and Dimitri, is just like, um let's have a what will be the positive outlook for iot so if i'm for example a, a vendor i'm stepping into iot so what is your recommendation where should i start to make not the things worse instead to make it better in the iot so rob yeah, yeah certainly um obviously we want to use this technology for to make society a better place. And we know it can digitalization of processes, digitalization of the factory industry 4.0, all these are good things. Uh, we just need to make sure that we have a simple checklist that we bring along with us uh, as we go on this journey uh, to connect these things, to get value from them. And so some of the things we've talked about today, your checklist on devices around and, and this doesn't have to be the hardest thing in the world, just simple security things. Just like we said at the beginning of the talk, Mirai could have been avoided if people just switched the default password to something different. Anything, even a stupid password, would have been better than the default password. Right. Um, so just follow a simple checklist. You know, 
Make sure the hardware is coming from a reputable place on the device. Make sure you can store the credentials securely on there. Make sure you can encrypt things. Make sure that you're just, you don't have to get a VPN. Just use TLS. Send your data over TLS. Make sure when you're sending data, you're sending a unique identifier and either a security token or using certificates. Make sure that the IoT platform that you might be using has the ability to rotate those tokens or certificates, just like, you know, when you work at a company, they make you change your password every few months. Same thing. Keep the hackers guessing. Um, not a lot of rocket science stuff. Encrypt data at rest, encrypt data in transit. Be authenticating at every step of the way. You hear a lot about zero trust these days. Keep your, keep that in your mindset. That little packet of data as it travels along its route, right, to get to its final destination. Don't trust it ever have to keep re-authenticating at every hop because we, we collect things at an IoT platform, we authenticate it, and we usually drop it into some kind of message queue or something. And then we pull it out and maybe we make a digital twin out of it. We do some analytics. Don't trust it ever. And the whole step, keep re-authenticating every step of the way. Um, if you just do some stuff like that, I think I think we're all going to be in good shape. Okay, cool. Dimitri. That's great. That's uh, yeah, cool. I think. Yeah. And I think you know, if if you take the the consumer or the end user uh, angle, is uh, there is a minimum of hygiene you should have in your digital life nowadays, and and it's you know consistent with what Rob said. So manage your passwords. You know, have a password manager, and uh, be uh, be a little be very careful about that because if you have IoT device on the network, uh, you know some of your account could be attacked. So if you have a good hygiene on your password, use two-factor authentication. You all have a cell phone now and it's very it's getting very more reliable. Um, so that's important. Buy devices from trusted sources. Um, and uh, if you're a little more technical, and also it is uh, much, much easier nowadays uh, with, the, with the, the router, the Comcast, have two networks. Put all your IoT device on one, you know, Wi-Fi network, and put your home computer where you do your banking and social security thing on another Wi-Fi network. Most routers offer that nowadays. Um, ask your kids; they they can learn more quickly than you do. But uh, if you start applying those principles, yes, you can keep on uh, playing with uh, with all those devices. And I would say for the general, your your fridge, your switches, your radio, if you start getting into devices that touch your health. Do a little more research. Be more yeah. careful with my advice. So when it becomes critical, uh, ask yourself, oh, does that thing really need to be connected to the internet? And if the answer is no, avoid it. Uh, I would also, that's also a general principle. If you don't see significant value, do you need your fridge to be connected to the internet? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was brilliant. Tyler, anything to add? No, I was just going to say that that, that 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 was brilliant. And, um, you know, I, I, I also just want to add I, to, you know, remember if you're using these devices, make sure you're securing that entire ecosystem, not just trying to secure the devices themselves. But yeah, I, that, that, that was great. I feel very hopeful now. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So I hope for the people out there, for the audience that you had enjoyed our talk. If you like our podcast, give us a comment, give us a rating, give us a feedback. Um, this was awesome. Dimitri, Rob, thanks yeah. for having you here in the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having Thank me. You. It's been great. Thank guys. you. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Follow us at hackwork.io 